Hey, what's going on, you guys? This is episode 15 of the Nobby Design Podcast. And in this episode, we sit down with my good friend, Jeff Hyun. Jeff is the lead pastor of Holy Wave Church, the English ministry of Sarang Church based out in Orange County, California. This episode, we talk about the power of pain and really how our journey through pain can be one of the greatest catalysts for growth and for development in our lives if we process through the pain well. I think you guys are going to find tons of value in this podcast. Check it out. All right. What is going on, you guys? This is another episode of the Nobby Design Podcast. And I know I say this every time that I have a good friend, but I really do, you guys. I'm God has just <laughs> blessed me with um, very rich and uh, invigorating friendships and relationships. Uh, today, we have a very special guest. We have my brother, Jeff Hyun. What's up, everyone? um so real quick just diving right in um man actually i gotta share this so so jeff and i um jeff's gonna share a a bit about himself and and i want him to take um, as much time as he wants but uh jeff and i met in kansas city uh i want to say 2016 jeff yeah 2016 and the story is is really long. Maybe we'll get into it another day because there's some very amazing uh, events that took place just around just that time of, of Jeff's life and a group of our friends. But I say all that to say that, um, you know, I, I connected with Jeff through our mutual friend, shout out Sunno Park. And, um, you know, Jeff and I, we connected and, yeah, I remember Jeff even going to coffee with you that first day and really just connecting heart to heart. Um, you know, I would say that there was a sense of Chung and, uh, a sense of brotherhood kind of right off the bat. Uh, just a quick fun fact, uh, Jeff is an INFJ for all you MBTIers out there. <laughs> um, Jeff was convinced that he was INTJ for the longest time. Yes. Uh, yes. And I convinced many other people too. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but Jeff's an INFJ. And the only reason why I bring that up is that in the Myers-Briggs world, INFP and INFJs are considered cousins. And so, you know, very oftentimes there can be this very symbiotic, you know, fun relationship. But so I've been friends with uh, Jeff now for going on four years, and uh, we've been able to have different touch points at different times of the year. But Jeff, for the person that has never connected with you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are. Yeah, well, first and foremost, Andy, thanks for so much for having me on this podcast. Uh, I've, I've been listening and uh, just been tuning into several of the episodes and it's my first time ever recording a podcast episode, so it's a, it's a real treat and honor to be able to do it with a special friend like you. Um, yeah, um, um, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm married. I'm a father of three children, um, um, Emily, Elijah, and Elena. been married to my wife, Stella, now for 12 years. Wow. And uh, I've been pastoring here in uh, Southern California, Anaheim to be exact, at Sarang Community Church. Mm. um in Anaheim, California and yep. um yeah it's been it's been a crazy journey someone was commenting to me um recently about the fact that you know I just turned 40 back in February 
And, you know, they were kind of pointing out the fact that I have spent at least almost half my life, you know, uh, 15 years of that, of those 40 uh, here at this church. And so wow. I think that's been really rich because I think just staying the long haul in one place, um, mm. I think one of the benefits of that has really been to kind of see the fruit over the long duration, you know, over mm. the long haul and mm. seeing former college students, you know, now getting married, wow. having children. And seeing kind of how, you know, God's kind of directed and navigated their life from, you know, their adolescent days mm. to their young adult days and, and thereafter. So, mm. yeah, it's been um, a really rich experience. And I think through it all, um, one of the greatest gifts of, of being here, I think, has been to really meet um, just wonderful people uh, like you, like Seno, like Abe. Come on. Um, Jason, I think our relationship goes back all the way until 2015. Yeah. And Andy, it wasn't coffee. It was actually, uh, it was, I think my first Chung and connection actually happened over the bowl of Nengyun that <laughs> That's I right. made. <laughs> and that, that started it. That started the whole deal. And, uh, Come on. and then we went to the coffee shop. That's and right. And we had some more. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so crazy, you know, just to see uh, what has come out of, uh, these relationships and these mm. relationships with these special brothers has been so, so rich and so amazing. Mm. Bro, Jeff, I don't know if I've ever even asked you this question. I, I, I can remember times where you've, you know, alluded to the story, but um, my question to you is, you know, cause you even brought up the fact that you've been in pastoral ministry for, you know, a, a, quite some time now. My question to you would be, um, as you reflect, Jeff, on even this trajectory of life, what was it that initially compelled you to pastoral ministry? Yeah, that's a great question, Andy. Um, you know, I think the whole process and journey actually started probably, well, I want to say, you know, my great-grandmothers uh, who were, you know, part of that whole Pyongyang kind of revival and they were like the spiritual matriarchs of my, of our family. And they would, mm. they would always say to me ever since I was a young kid um, mm. in Korea, they would say, you know, you're going to be a pastor, you know? Wow. And I remember even through my most rebellious years in high school, Wow. you know, they would continue to kind of, uh, you know, um, share that again and again with me. And I literally thought that, that we're going, they were going senile. Um, <laughs> but but man, you know, when I got to college, um, I actually had a wonderful, wonderful mentor and disciple come into my life. Okay. And uh, he just brought me into kind of his home environment, discipled me, mm. um, just really tried to answer some of the most, um, you know, pressing questions I had about the faith. Wow. And, you know, after going through that process with him for uh, just over a year, mm. um, you know, I ended up giving my life to the Lord. Wow. And we ended up going on this mission trip. Yeah. And I remember I was just in the right place at the right time. And I saw mm. um, that this man was there and, you know, I saw him come to Christ you know, mm. right before my very eyes. Mm. And I just remember on the plane ride back from Oaxaca, Mexico, um, wow. just kind of riding in my journey. Like, man, I, I really felt like this is something that God is kind of calling me into. Wow. And I wrestled with it for a couple of years, um, but I felt like the seeds were actually planted 
mm. early on in my childhood. Yeah. And I think uh, really through the intercession and, and prayers of my grandmother and my great grandmother, who mm. obviously have gone to the home to be with the Lord. Mm. Um, yeah. They really kind of came into fruition um, upon graduating college. Wow. So it sounds like a hallmark of your journey was the role of the mentor and what he played in your life. Yeah, my disciple had a tremendous impact and role. And I think it's really made an imprint kind of in the way I do ministry. Um, it's wow. weird. You know, I grew up in a small church prior to the 15 years here at Tsarang. Yeah. You know, I was uh, about, what, 14, uh, 15 years that was at my previous church. And mm. it was a small church, maybe two, 300 people max. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, they, they, it was the first time that I was actually really discipled by someone mm. and it had such a profound impact on me that I think when I first came here, yeah, the size and scale and scope of the ministry was so different. And I was like, wow. how am I going to kind of bring that personal level and touch and mentoring and discipleship into a kind of a setting like this? Mm. And so in some ways, you know, we've had to kind of you know, um, we, we run as a mega church at times, but then I had to figure out ways to try to shrink the mega church mm. and try to do family and try to do life with our staff and most wow. people that, you know, have been in, you know, relationship with us for the last several years. And so, yeah, yeah it's been challenging at times, but it's been, it's been rewarding and good too. Wow. Wow. No, it's so good, bro. Um, you know, maybe just, not even shifting gears, but just pivoting a little bit. Um, you know, Jeff, I, I just want to comment as a brother from the outside in, you know, and we, we've processed, you know, we've gone on trips together and we've had fun times to debrief, but, you know, and, and I'm kind of teeing you up and I want you to share your story, but from the outside in as a brother, you know, watching you go through the journey that you've gone on for the last, you know, year and a half, two years, uh, particularly even, you know, this, this journey with your mother in particular, you know, I just want to say as a brother, bro, like it's actually been one of the most powerful things that I've ever witnessed. Um, you know, I remember even the first time you publicly shared uh, in Kona, you know, uh, I was, I was weeping, you know, I was bawling my eyes out because it just, it just was so raw, you know what I mean? And, and to, and to see you um, share this part of your life that obviously is very deep and intimate and just to even see the, 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 I would even call the metamorphosis, right? The way that you've taken your pain and you process and are continually processing through that and to see a metamorphic journey um, come about in the process. I just wanted to say from the outside in has been nothing short of amazing. And, you know, as a human development coach, I'm just fascinated um, to see it. And, and I would say even, you know, just hearing you and learning from you and, and hearing your journey with pain, it's, it's almost added a different part of my arsenal of thinking of recognizing the power of our pain and um, yeah, just recognizing that our pain can be this like interesting hallmark in our life um, if it's processed the right way. So without further ado, I mean, I, I, I want you to just feel as free as you want. But what was your journey, uh, Jeff, in this area of pain? Yeah, well, um, I appreciate your kind words, Andy. Um, I, I would have to say that you know, I think about kind of this journey with pain. Um, I would say that it really takes me back to my childhood. 
um, when I was five years old and we were still living in Seoul, Korea during that time. Um, I just remember this one particular night um, I was woken up and I heard just the sound of, you know, people screaming and shouting and, and I was five years old. So, you know, obviously I was really scared. I just kind of pulled the blankets over my face and just was hoping that the, the noise would go away. But I noticed that the noise was actually getting closer and closer to my room. Wow. And so I hear the, the door sliding open and it's my mom and she's just crying hysterically. And she's, she enters the room. And the next thing that I hear apart from her crying is actually like the sound of like bags opening, like clothing that's kind of being ripped down from hangers. And the whole time, I mean, she's just sobbing uncontrollably. Mm. And then uh, the next thing I remember is that, um, you know, back in those days in Korea, most of us, we slept on the ground and I was yeah. kind of sleeping on a little mat, you know, blankets. And she just kind of knelt uh, right next to me. And she kind of peeled back the blankets. And I just remember her saying, you know, Cheona, which is actually my Korean name, you know, mommy's leaving. Mm. And that would be, um, you know, uh, probably the last time that I would actually see my mom until many, many years uh, wow. later, which I'll get to in just a little bit. And I think to kind of compound the, the, the pain of actually losing my mom when my father and I, uh, we moved to the States about a year after. And I think my dad, I think he was looking for uh, a new life and a better life. And so we came to the States Mm. And watching my father, who has a disability, he had polio when he was very young, trying to make it, you know, here in America, literally on one leg and going through business after business and just kind of going through the shame of the broken family um, was actually compounding and just adding to the pain of actually losing my mom. Wow. And I just remember, you know, I was living with my cousins during that time because my father couldn't actually afford to, to you know, um, we couldn't afford to live out on our own. And mm. so we were living with our uh, relatives at that time. And as I was living there, um, it just, it was actually probably one of the most darkest moments of my life. You know, I mm. was um, underwent different types of abuse from physical to emotional and even sexual Mm. And it just, when I think, you know, some, some people, when they think back to their childhood, yeah, I think they have very fond, pleasant memories. And for mm. me, at least that juncture of my life, I mean, it was a hellish nightmare. Wow. And, um, and so that's kind of how, you know, my story kind of originates, you know, from that moment. And, yeah. and so, you know, uh, I just kind of grew up and, you know, had just kind of put that part of my past away. And even after I came to faith and, you know, I gave my life to Jesus, um, he took me through a process, obviously, of forgiving my mom and, mm. and even blessing her. Mm. And I remember, uh, fast forward now, several decades later, um, I was on a short sabbatical in Korea in 2016. Yep. yep. And a close brother and I, uh, shout out to Christian, uh, we went to this place called the Jesus Abbey in Korea. And I was praying there. Mm. And I had this really strange experience as, as I was praying. I, could, I heard the voice of my mom. Wow. And I mean, it was so crazy because it was like she wasn't speaking to me. It was like she was 
like reading a letter to me and she was talking about my beloved Jeff, you know, there's not a day that doesn't go by when I don't think about you. And she's going on and on about how sorry she is that she ever left. Mm. And at the very end uh, of this very short, um, you know, just kind of weird experience, she yeah. says to me, when, when your heart is ready, come, come, come search for me, come, come find me. Wow. And I had always prayed, Lord, if you want me to ever find my mom, you better make it really, really clear because, I mean, it's, I just, I didn't have the faith nor the courage to actually even begin that process, you know. And I think my biggest fear was that, you know, like many adoptees who actually go and search for their biological parents that, that maybe because they've kind of started their other life, you know, that they might not be so receptive to a reunion. Wow. And so... Um, I mean, that was as clear of a sign as I can get. And um, through brothers like you, you guys, um, through close friends, and most importantly, my wife, I mean, they were really encouraging me and pushing me to actually begin the process. So I officially started the process, I would say, um, the following summer. Yep. I would go to Korea for the next uh, couple of years. Yep. And I believe it was in... um, you know, and each time I went, I realized I was missing some kind of documents or I was missing something. Mm. And I remember this one particular year, I think it was the summer of, was it 2018? Mm. Uh, mm. I go to Korea. This time I have all my documents. I show up at, you know, kind of their social security administration center. Yep. And uh, the lady there hears a little snippet of my story. She's very motivated to help me. And um, she's printing out the records and saying, you know, I've located your mom. And she's wow. handing it over to me. And then as she's handing it over, she's like, oh, wait, uh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. And yeah. I said, wait. And I thought, oh, my gosh, did she pass away? Yeah. And she says, no, no, no. Um, you know, your, your mom's not in Korea anymore. Wow. And for some reason, I, I, had, I was so convinced because I had that experience, you know, in yes. Korea. And the mm. last point of reference that I had about where my mom was, it was still Korea. And that mm. was still in the early 2000s. Mm. So I was fully convinced that she was there. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, man, dude, my search perimeter just got exponentially yep. wider and harder. I mean, the Korean diaspora is like in almost every continent in the world and wow. so many different countries. And, wow. and I remember just kind of really being discouraged because I finally mustered up the courage to actually begin this process. Mm. now i've hit this dead end and i've hit mm. multiple dead ends by that point mm. so i'm walking back to my friend's apartment mm. and i remember that um i was at a stoplight and yeah. just kind of complaining to the to the lord like man why'd you even have me start this whole process if i'm gonna i'm gonna experience this dead end wow and like in that moment it wasn't like i heard a voice from heaven or anything like that it was just like this thought this idea mm. And I was like, man, because I saw that on those documents that I had retrieved or that lady that printed, printed out for me, yeah. that my mom's current husband's name was actually mentioned there. And I was like, you know what? I've had so many searches under my mom's name yeah. who actually shares the same name as one of the presidential candidates in Korea. And, <laughs> uh, the last election, so that was not very helpful. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, why don't I just randomly try a search under this her husband's name and so i took out my phone facebook was open wow 
and this is all in one sequence. Like, like literally, I'm not making this up. Wow. So I typed in his name, and he has a very popular name in Korea, I guess, because yeah. I mean, it had multiple entries that came down. But there was one name that, wow. in parentheses, you know, had an English name, in it, and it was James Choi. And so I clicked on James Choi, wow. and the Korean name, and right underneath the profile picture, you actually see that the person is married to you know, my mom's first name and oh my, my mom's maiden name. Wow. And so I click on that and lo and behold, it was a picture of my mom. So by that point, I've been going to Korea like three times every year, like in, you know, trying to find my mom yeah. for, t- for two years straight. Wow. And all this time she wasn't there. And ironically, I find her on Facebook. <laughs> and she's located in San Jose, California. And that was the crazier part was that she's wow. up in NorCal. And wow. so um, I came back to the States. Um, I contacted her and uh, we uh, had our re- reunion at the uh, Western Airport right next to SFO. And Andy, it was like for me, I mean, I couldn't sleep, you know, the days leading up to that, that meeting. And I, I got there and I, I literally felt like it was like a dream. Because I've had so many dreams where I would be reunited with her and wow. I would wake up and I would be like, oh man, it was, it was just a dream. Give, give the listener context, Jeff. How many years had it been since you saw her face? That was 33 years. 33 wow. years. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I had uh, received pictures and letters from her and that's the crazy part, Andy, right? Because mm. remember I was telling you when I was in that prayer uh, mountain place, it was as if she was reading a letter to me. And then I was wow. so crazy because that was my last form of communication that I had with my mom. It was not a phone call. Wow. Obviously emails or texts or video conferencing didn't exist back then. And it was through letters that we actually communicated and the communication just dropped after second grade. Wow. And, um, so yeah, it was, you know, 30 years plus, um, since I had actually seen her, since it was that last moment where she said, you know, Jeff, I'm leaving. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, it was like a dream come true. Wow. And the crazy thing was, is that, you know, you would think, okay, now happy ending, you yep. know, kind of like a fairy tale story kind of coming to an end. Mm. But, but actually that was actually the beginning of really phase two of my, my pain journey. Okay. Because okay. After yeah, after a couple of months, mm. um, actually, I would actually say on the flight back, mm. from the moment that we said goodbye, wow, I literally started to feel like pain in my chest, mm. and um, I remember I was on that flight, and it's like a, only a fifty-minute flight from San Jose to uh, to Long Beach, mm. and my wife was next to me, and. Mm she probably thought I was having a panic attack because wow. like I was breathing heav- heavily. I was like experiencing this pain in my chest. And I was like, man, it, why, why, why am I experiencing this? I should be, I should be happy, you know, like, mm. right. I should be happy, but mm. no, I realized, you know, um, so I just chopped it up to like, maybe it's just because we're having to say goodbye again. And then a couple of days later, I was in my office and I found myself just kind of crying uncontrollably at, mm. at this moment. Mm. And I was like, okay, maybe should I check in with the therapist now? But, you wow. know, 
I got three kids and ministry and all of these things. So, I mean, I had all kinds of distractions to kind of divert my attention away from the pain that was there. And it wasn't until probably about seven or eight months later that I started like really feeling it. Wow. And this is now fast forward to uh, last year, I will probably say from January is when I started kind of feeling it on, but it was mm. really starting to intensify pretty much right around this time last year. Jeff, my question to you, thank you so much for sharing that, bro. I, I actually have like three or four questions that are all circulating through my head because, I mean, just to be real, I mean, just the human experience is so relatable, um, right? It's, I heard, I heard a quote that once said something along the lines of pain is what unites us all, right? Is that every human being, we all go through, you know, this, this, these, these type of experiences. But my question to you would be, um, actually, let me just do this before I forget. So question number one, in, in lieu of everything you just shared, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm always very fascinated with um, childhood experiences and the way that they, you know, obviously develop and form the psyche of an individual. I would say 80 to 90% of the counseling that I do, we always end up going back into childhood because it's just such formative years um, right. of development. My question to you, um, Jeff, would be, what would you say the absence of a motherly figure or the absence of your mom, like looking back in your retrospective journey, like how do you feel like that actually affected you and affected your psyche growing up? Yeah. Well, I mean, this, this has multiple layers, so I'll, I'll do my best to mm. try to be honest, but also to try to keep it brief. Um, sure. You know, I think because um, it was the experience of abandonment, Mm. Um, and also uh, um, at least a perceived rejection because mm. you know, no one really sat me down and explained to me why my mom had left. Mm. So I remember in some of the more formative years of childhood and going into adolescence, there would be this little thought of, you know, that maybe my mom left because there was something that she didn't like about me or that she didn't value about me. And I think there was this kind of lie that would kind of just be there just enough you know where i mean i was functioning as a normal child you know but just inwardly i remember these thoughts would come and so i think the way that that sort of impacted my 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 sense of confidence my identity my value uh, had a tremendous impact mm. and i think secondly i think um, it really affected the way that i would go into relationships with people mm. uh, I, I remember um you know, in some of the relationships that um, I would have from, like, let's say my high school years and college years, and especially around the time when I was dating my wife, I had such an irrational fear that um, the person that I was going to end up marrying was going to leave me. And I'm sure as you're listening, Andy, as other listeners are, are, are listening to this, you know, it, it might sound like, like this crazy thought, but, and as irrational as it sounded, it was so real to me. Um, I remember you know, my wife would be going on a, a, a trip uh, with her, with her girlfriends, you know, to, to Napa or something. And I would be so worried, like, well, what if she comes back, you know, from this trip and she doesn't want to wow. be with me anymore. And these were like, like, I, I just remember feeling it so heavy, heavily. Wow. And so 
I think it had a tremendous impact on my, my relationships. And um, yeah, I think th those are the two primary ways that I can just think of off the, uh, off the top of my hat in terms of the way that the absence of my mom really affected me. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and, and I appreciate you, Jeff, for just keeping it real and authentic. I mean, you know, one of these podcasts, I actually have wanted to share a bit of my own journey. And I was actually sharing some of this with you, Jeff, about yeah. my whole story of how I even got into this world of coaching and counseling. And, and it is a story to share, to be honest, I haven't shared it. You know. Absolutely. And you should, you should, because it, it is gold. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I haven't shared it publicly in six or seven years. Um, but I, I share all of that to say that um, I do, I, I want to share about um, just the ways that both abandonment, rejection, uh, how that actually um, leaves an indelible mark on our psychological development and just the ways that God had brought that up later on in life and, and even excavated and allowed me to um, deal with that head on. But, um, you know, it, it's crazy, Jeff, because I, I've, I've heard it said something along the lines like this, right? Like when it comes to father wounds or when it comes to fatherly absence or fatherly wounds, it affects a young boy's um, confidence, Right. Uh, it's, there's, there's no sense of, uh, masculinity or we're searching for that. But then I've also heard it said that when it comes to the place of mother wounds and motherly absence, that it affects the areas of intimacy. Yeah. Would you agree Absolutely. with that? Absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, I think the, the, and it's, it's really both ends. It's, 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 it's the impact that it has on our identity and, also in the way that it also forms and shapes our relationships as a result mm. and and for me it was just um like i said i mean i think with um the abandonment issue um the perceived rejection that i had obviously um it, it really um yeah i, I it, it was weird because i would be drawn into these relationships but I, I found myself being like really guarded. And even after being married, I think it was a, a process of having to actually work through that. And so, um, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with, uh, yeah, what you just, uh, what you just expressed. Wow. Well, you know, kind of taking this conversation further, right? Like, because I think there's so much that's here, um, you know, yeah. I mean, like just real quick, another question that I would have quickly would be, in, in, a, in, in a phrase or in a nutshell, how would you describe the emotion that you went through the first time you saw your mom? Yeah, um, it was, it was uh, two, two primary emotions. And the second one, it was probably, I didn't really register it and pick it up until later. But the first one was, I think, elation and joy. I think it, wow. it was a genuine sweetness because it had been such a long time. And I... Wow probably in my early thirties had pretty much given up hope. And I just sort of resolved and just resorted to the fact that I had, Hey, I had forgiven her and mm. I was even able to bless her. And so just to kind of see it all come in a way that was so like, it was so supernatural, just the way that, I mean, God kind of led that whole journey and orchestrated the events leading up to our, our reunion. Mm. But I would say the second emotion, and this is really where I think the 
pain piece really came in is that it's 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 grief. Wow. And and I I couldn't put my thumb on it. Like literally, like I said, I mean, what I was experiencing physically and then in the manifestation of like the 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 pain, the chest pains and these kind of things was really, I think, pointing to something more inwardly and deeply inward um, mm. where I was experiencing pain there and I just couldn't really put my thumb on it and mm. I'll talk a little bit more about this later but I mean I, I have a tendency to stuff wow I have a tendency just to kind of get busy with life so that I can kind of distract myself out of pain and one of the ways that I do that is to work in ministry and it's served as a great distraction and then I just got to a point sometime around this time last year where I couldn't do it anymore and I felt like something inside of me was imploding. So I remember my wife was on this, was out on this trip to Japan and I was home with the three kids. And I just remember there was this one particular night where this thing just, it just came. And I just, I was just in a world of pain. And I was like, I don't know what was happening to me. I couldn't process. I couldn't make sense of it. So I picked up the phone. I contacted my wife's best friend who's a therapist. And I said, hey, I need that referral to that, that, that counselor that you were, you know, that you kind of threw out to me a couple of months ago. So I texted her right in that moment. And uh, a week later after my wife came back, I found myself, you know, in my counselor's office. And three weeks, she didn't say a word, you know. She just had me just share my story, my experience, wow. help me kind of pinpoint all the different emotions that I was feeling. And I think around the fourth session, this is probably like the fourth week, she sits me down and she says, Jeff, do you know why you are experiencing, you know, all of these emotions? This sounds like a scene from This Is Us. Sorry, I just have to say that real quick. Keep going, bro. Keep going. It's like, do you know why you're experiencing all this pain? And, and I said, I, I don't know. I mean, because I really thought, I mean, I should be happy. Right. I found my mom. Like, I should be at peace, but mm. I wasn't feeling any of those things. And so she says to me, and this was, I mean, it was like, it was as if like she just like dropped like a, a 5,000 pound ball on me. <laughs> but she said, you know, the reason why you're experiencing all of this is because you're having to actually go through the grief that you should have went through even 33 years ago when your mom first left you as a child. And no one was there to actually grieve with you. No one was there to even answer the questions of why she left. No one was there to actually cry with you or to have you kind of vent out your anger or your frustrations or your fears. Like no one took you through that process of grieving. And so it's just been all delayed and just stuffed there. And now that you found your mom, it's like, I'm having to go through that process now. And and I just remember just sitting there and like, literally if, if, I mean, my jaw like dropped and wow. I mean, I, it, it took a while for me to kind of like yeah. process through that many more sessions, obviously of just working through that. But it, it was, um, I guess it was liberating in some way, but it was, a, it was a difficult pill to swallow to say the least. And, and it sounds like just, yeah. Well, it sounds like you were two things real quick. It sounds like you were finally confronted with that reality, mm -hmm. um, which is really the first step of wholeness, right? On in, in our wholeness journey. Number two, it's just, it's just hitting me right now. 
it is physically possible for an individual to hold something for 33 years and to not fully, I mean, that to me, that's kind of the mind blowing reality of the way that we work psychologically. Um, Jeff, I mean, you know, um, kind of just for me, I'm just kind of keeping time in mind a little bit, but my, my question to you, Jeff, would be, so very much this is this is an ongoing journey you're you're every time you share publicly you're very vulnerable about that you're like hey like i'm processing um through a lot of this my question to you would be this because i i would say uh i could easily say eight out of ten people can resonate with with this journey in some shape or form easily um so many things happen to us in life that we maybe are not at the level of maturity or don't have the tools or what for whatever what reason to engage with the pain in a proper way i would even be sometime i would even say sometimes for those of us who are east asian there is a cultural element to there about uh an inability to engage with pain in a very healthy way absolutely right um my question to you, Jeff, would be in this journey that you are very much uh, you know, on, what has been some pivotal principles, if not pr- uh, pivotal um, moments or pivotal things that has helped catalyze the um, wholeness journey for you? Mm, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I, I guess, you know, what really comes off my bat, uh, off the top of my head is, um, I think the way that I had sort of uh, developed um, patterns and habits about how I deal with the unpleasant stuff in my life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, experiences of grief uh, or, or pain, or even right now what I'm working through is the, how do I deal with anger, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, I learned first and foremost, a lot of things about what is not helpful. Wow. Um, what is not um, really beneficial. And if I just kind of go back to my experience of like last year, um, I, I think one of the first things that I started to do was I started to kind of detach. Mm. And, you know, um, and it's weird because, you know, in, in ministry, it's like you have this weird dynamic where like you're constantly surrounded by people. <laughs> and people are constantly coming to you and you're constantly kind of quote unquote connected with people. But yet I just, I just remember feeling so utterly al- alone. Wow. And I think that was adding to the pain. Um, I, I, I gave this teaching about two weeks ago and I was quoting uh, this, the surgeon general, I think who had served in the previous um, administration, but um, they were talking about how, you know, loneliness is more, you know, it's like the equivalent to, uh, to someone who smokes like, you know, 15 cigarettes a day or something like that. And, you know, and I, I understood it in a way where out of my own experience, like I was literally experiencing pain just from feeling so displaced, so disconnected and, and lonely. And so um, one of the things that I, I learned, I had to learn and, I'm so thankful to um, friends who kind of reached out to me in those moments, you know, like, you know, there, there were friends who, who were just, they would just kind of 
be there with me, just routinely kind of checking in mm. and just asking like, hey, like, you okay? And it was, it was so interesting. Like, even though I wasn't articulating or sharing any of these things, like I would get these random check-ins from friends and brothers that are, you know, in different circles and relationships. Mm. And that was actually, uh, you know, life-saving in a way because wow. um, my tendency again was to stuff was to just kind of try to kind of detach and you know try to ignore a lot of it and i think that kind of you know leads me to another thing where i i i noticed as you were talking about growing up in asian background you know we grew up in a honor and shame culture and so i noticed that we typically you know and I don't want to speak for, you know, your audience who's listening. I can only speak from what I did. And yeah. man, I mean, I was, I mean, cause I, I had to, I still had to go up and preach every Sunday. And I found that the most um, therapeutic messages that I would actually give are the soul care messages are the messages about going through wilderness seasons. And, and cause I was able to literally just kind of share with my audience that I'm ministering to. Mm. Um, but I mean, there was still this deeper part of me because this this process with my mom is so deeply personal mm. and and painful that um, I just wasn't ready to share any of that with mm. you know the people the at least my uh, my my congregation yet mm. and um, and so I would I would try to cover it up and mm. I think um, yeah it was almost I almost felt and even that feeling of trying to kind of like fake it till I make it I, yeah. that was really painful too wow um and if I could think of one other thing that I probably wasn't really helpful was um yeah I I I've started to resorting to other means and ways of self-medicating yeah you know? yeah and I know that um everyone has kind of their quote-unquote narcotic or cultural narcotic of choice yeah um, it's not always drugs or alcohol. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's just, you know, over inundating ourselves with uh, distractions. And, That's right. and I was, I was in that, I was in that place of trying to, instead of like sort of embracing my pain and just trying to hold it in tension. Um, I was trying to run away from it and I was trying to distract myself out of it and numb it. And so I, I learned a lot of things of what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. And I think um, the other thing that I probably learned was that, you know, as I'm kind of on the other side of it, but still very much in process, yeah, is that, man, pain is very transformative. Mm. You know, um, it was actually through this experience of this, this, this extended season of journey of pain where, yeah. you know, I, I came to learn, you know, new things about myself. Um, uh-huh. um, I think going through this kind of valley extended kind of wilderness season of my life mm. with uh, this journey with my mom that was also kind of compounded with going through midlife. Yeah. Um, did a lot of shedding, you know, in terms wow. of kind of, you know, what maybe people in spiritual formation world might call like your false self. Wow. And so even going back to that reference about, you know, me thinking I was an INTJ, I, yeah. I think I realized I, I tried to function as very much like an INTJ because I was, that was kind of what I had thought, like, that's what a good leader is. Wow. And there was something about going through this journey of pain that I think just kind of, it's, it was kind of like a metamorphosis. It was kind of like a very transformative experience where I think it really brought me more in touch with 
man, no, this is this is really how God has designed me. This is really how so the good. Lord has wired me. And it was it was so weird. It, it actually took this extended journey of pain to actually draw that out and to draw the the the, the beauty of the true self out, you know. And and I see this not only in my story, but I've seen it in countless other people's stories of, of, mm. of people who you know, had very painful experiences, you know, um, who are going through an extended season, like a quarter life crisis or like a midlife crisis. Wow. And there's like this transformative effect um, that I think pain has um, mm. on us uh, in terms of not just shaping what we do, but really who we are. Wow. And I was yeah. if I could ask. Yeah, go, oh, go, sorry, go, go ahead. No, I no, just no. had one more, I would say, principle that I think I've learned through this process of pain is that um, it, I think it also pain actually has a shape, a way of shaping, not just who we are, but also what we do, because, mm. you know, as I, as I'm kind of now mm. on this other side of my pain journey yeah, and uh, things are a little bit more clear yeah, and uh, I feel a little bit more whole. Yeah. Um, something about my passions, something about my sense of, purpose and call has sort of been rewired through this journey and experience of pain come on yeah and so i think you know pain kind of in some way having a an impact on our purpose um, mm. in terms of our call as some people might actually even use the word destiny mm. i i realize um it, it really does and mm. i'm experiencing that in my life and i've also seen that in um, the story of, of others who are around me Bro, I just, I, I love giving feedback to what I hear, especially when I feel like it's just pure gold. But if what I hear you saying is correct, Jeff, what I'm hearing is pain can serve not only a purpose, but can even, pain can really become a gift in our life, obviously through the process, in that it, number one, um, it, it helps to identify our true self, right? So it's almost like without the catalyst, the catalyst of pain, it's really kind of hard to separate what is the false self from the true self. Absolutely. Right? Because Absolutely. What, what pain is doing is pain is galvanizing and resonating with this true part of ourself. And subsequently, what it's showing us is this other part of ourselves that maybe we've adopted or maybe has been a part of our life for so long they almost kind of start to separate and you're like, whoa, maybe I'm not as much of a thinker as I thought I was. And I'm actually, I'm actually this feeler. And, and by me getting in touch with my pain, it's allowing me to get in touch with this very real um, inherent part of myself that may have been calloused because of the pain. Absolutely. Wow. And I mean, that, I mean, the way you articulated that is, <laughs> It's, it's cool, man. It comes yeah. out with you, bro. <laughs> but but no, but I mean, it just just for me, I'm processing it real time because yeah. it's it's so it's so rich. But then number two, what you're saying is that you know, as a result of that, it almost not necessarily rewires your passion, but it almost re-stimulates that which that which was probably latent within you in the first place. Yeah. But it's almost like pain is that metamorphic tool to move you to that next phase. Is that is that sound pretty good? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think um, 
if I could just kind of share, at least for me, and again, um, this is still very fresh and this is sort of in process. Like I remember when I was going through that season uh, leading up until just even recently as last year, um, like feeling alone, um, feeling like I was kind of hiding in my own cave, um, mm. not knowing, you know, too many resources and help that were there. And then eventually those resources came and it was almost like that story where, you know, like, um, you know, where Elijah is actually fed by the ravens. I, I just remember like uh, there's wow. these other accounts where like the angels would actually come and, and, and minister to him by actually feeding him. And it was mm. almost like that. I, I felt such a, a kindness and grace uh, from the Lord in these provisions that would come so that I can, um, get therapy so that I can. I got into this um, this uh, spiritual uh, formation cohort um, uh, towards the end of last year in the fall through a friend, um, David, and 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 that's actually continued my healing journey. And so, um, you know, definitely along the way, um, God has really provided some amazing tools, resources in the form of people, yeah. and not just principles that I think has really kind of kept me moving forward in this journey. And so, yeah. Come on. Shout out David Jang Hyun Kim, <laughs> <laughs> our, our boy and our friend uh, up in uh, San Jose. Shout out to David. No, Jeff, I think this is, I mean, kind of slowly descending the plane, right? I think, sure. you know, okay, I, I have so many thoughts right now. Number one, I think, um, yeah, I think, my, my hope, you know, even for this podcast is that the listener would um, be able to engage with their own pain journey, maybe from a renewed perspective or from a fresh perspective. Um, I just want to say this too, just in response to what you just said is that, you know, oftentimes I think we, we think of transition in our life going from strength to strength, right? Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we think of Oh, going to the next phase of life is almost this upgrade mentality where I'm going to become stronger. I'm going to become better. I'm going to become faster. But I think the way that it actually really works, and honestly, Jeff, this podcast has really inspired me um, to share my own journey, probably on another episode. So thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Um, but I think the reality of genuine transition is it actually happens through death. It doesn't actually happen through our strength. It actually happens through our weakness. And, 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 and I think that, you know, I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but I feel like I am, right? I think oftentimes what ends up happening is that, you know, we enter into these seasons of transition and we actually kind of end up kicking against the goads. What I mean by that is we kind of end up futilely fighting against it by trying to exert more and more of our strength. But what ends up happening in that process is that it's almost like God allows us to deplete every ounce of that strength to get our tank on absolute E for us to finally realize, um, I need you. And in and, and, and this, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of giving a sneak peek to my own story, but you know, I just, I'll just share this for anyone who wants to hear the sneak peek. I remember um, through my own pain journey, when I said this to God, and I remember it was kind of the first time I had genuinely said this, I said, God, however it looks, however long it takes 
however you want it. I literally said, God, I'm so tired of these repeated patterns in my own life. And I, I'm coming to my absolute wits end that I can't fix myself. And I, I'll just say this. I remember when I said, God, however you want it. And I, I literally gave him the keys. I felt this gentle whisper come back to me. And he said, finally. <laughs> um, it, 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 the best way I can describe it is it was almost like he was gently, patiently, fatherly waiting for me to give him those keys. And he just said, you know, now you're ready. Like finally, Andy. So I just wanted to just chime that in, Jeff. And I don't know if you want to share anything with that, but I just wanted to chime that in is that oftentimes it's actually not our strength that gets us through the transition, but it's really our, our death and our weakness. You want to say anything? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it's so well said. And again, I think there's so much, I think, weight on that as you are speaking and as you are sharing, because you're not just articulating a principle, you're, you're speaking out of your life experience. And I, you've, you've shared your story with me. And so I, I, I know, you know, that as you get on that, you know, hopefully on the next episode, <laughs> you can do it sooner than later, Come on. as you share your story, I mean, it's, it's going to resonate with so many people. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, um, and again, not to sound preachy or anything like that, but yeah, please. Um, I think one of the quotes that has really been um, kind of um, just in my head uh, and I would say in my soul a lot these days is, Come on. you know, Henry Nouwen, and I've been reading a lot on uh, spiritual formation stuff, which has been so wonderful for me this season Come of my on. life. And he talks about how, you know, spiritual maturity is the, is the willingness to go to the places where we really don't want to go. And oftentimes, you know, um, we see this in the biblical paradigm too. It's not that when people go straight into their calling, it's not a straight shot. But for some reason, God seems to take them into the wilderness first. And we see that with Moses. We, we see that with David. We, we see that even with Jesus. Mm. And I think it's in that wilderness season in our life where we are confronted with our weakness, wow. our brokenness and our pain that that's actually in one sense where a part of us dies, but then that's when actually the real part of us, I think as you were articulating earlier, it's not that these are new passions, but it's like, it's the true self that's actually being resurrected and revived. Come on. And that along with that is our natural God-given uh, gifts, our superpowers, our mm-hmm. everything to our passions. Come on. And, and that actually then serves the purpose of actually leading us into kind of a, um, uh, our, our, our next assignment, or I would even say kind of like a second mountain kind of Come calling on. in life. Come on. And um, yeah. And so I, I, I've been speaking quite about a lot about this, you know, in conversations with you and other friends. And mm. I think one of the things that I'm kind of seeing is like in the Elijah paradigm, you know, it's that he has his first experience where God takes him up to, to Mount Carmel and there he experiences God in such a supernatural way you know, God is powerful. He feels powerful. God is great. He feels great. Mm. And for some reason, it doesn't just end there, but he's, you know, kind of led into the wilderness of Beersheba where like wow. he literally says, I want to die. But then <laughs> something happens to him there. Come on. And, and then God eventually takes him on route to a second mountain, mm. which is Horeb. 
Mm. He experiences God there, not in kind of the usual, typical, powerful manifestations, but in a gentle, still, quiet voice. Mm. And I think he gets this mandate from the Lord to actually raise up others and to go in and anoint and appoint other people. Mm. And that, that story really resonates with me in this season of my life, because that's kind of how I'm, I feel like I've just started to make my you know, ascent up the second mountain. I don't think I'm even there. And I think there's a part of it, of the peak that's kind of coming into focus a little bit. Mm. But I I could not have gone there unless I'd gone through the wilderness and experienced weakness and literally kind of just being like helpless and Mm. being in absolute touch with my pain and my own brokenness. Mm. And I think through that now, I think God's kind of taking me through the other side of things. Jeff, let me just say this, bro. Um, You know, I just want to say this. One of the things that I appreciate about Jeff so much, obviously, just keeping it so vulnerable and real, I mean, sharing this very real part of your story. But one of the things that I really appreciate about Jeff, and you know, I, I love, you know, even the episode I did with Jason on synergy and how different friendships galvanize different, um, stimulate different parts of synergy. But one of the things that I always really... um not yeah, I admire, and the, one of the things that I always get a kick out of when I connect with Jeff is that Jeff takes such a um, deeply methodical yet well thought approach to development. I know that that's what you're very passionate about, Jeff. You know, even that's why you study as much as you do on spiritual formation. And so I just know every time I talk with Jeff, I'm going to learn something new <laughs> in this area, whether it's an articulation or just some sort of paradigm that that didn't exist before. So Jeff, I just want to really just say thank you, bro, for your time yeah, on this podcast. You, yeah, yeah. No, really, I, I, I feel the same way. Every time we meet, I always take away. It's like when you're around Andy, you kind of have to have like a virtual recorder, <laughs> at least your phone out because he, he's going to say some things. And I know, I know some of our other Kona brothers, is, they, they would totally resonate with what I'm saying um, <laughs> as a way of putting things into words. But um, yeah, your process, I think, in and of itself is very deep as well. And I know that also comes out of your passion mm. for human development. And I'm, so for me, just to be on this podcast and to kind of share my story, but to also kind of go back and forth on this piece with you, it's been, it's been so rewarding. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Well, guys, thank you guys so much for tuning in, Jeff. Again, appreciate the time, brother. Love hanging out with you. Um, again, you guys, thank you for tuning in. Um, as always, uh, our, our hope and our intent through this podcast is through the power of conversation that we'd be able to provide um, value and valuable content that can really not only galvanize and uh, inspire conversations, but even be of practical use for people. So again, I hope we're always doing that. Um, If you are finding value out of this, would love for you to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, Yeah, this is going to help us to widen our audience and continue to reach others uh, with the message and the dialogue that we're bringing. So again, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in. God bless. Have a great day.